people just don't understand the issue that bonds that are bought at a premium will liquidate at par. You, you had a bond pun in there. I did. Yeah, you said they don't understand the issue. You see that? You got the it. Bonds are issued. You see that oh. there? It's, it's, it's an economist joke, and everybody should throw eggs at me at this point. Go ahead. And there's another issue with individual bonds. Oh, there you is, did it again. You did it again. There is another. Yeah, I know yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jeff and Jake McClure. I did that. Actually, gave you front top billing again. Yeah, and you said my name's first and instead of letting me say my name which was very confusing yes we 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 get confused about names around here yes and yes. we also I, may be mildly confused about what it means to have an exciting radio talk show um, or even a talk show because that's a kind of oxymoron how can you see a show on the radio we're well, all very more confused. of a show talk is it more of a show talk or is it, is it like a tell? It's the tell, a radio tell. I mean, why did they start back at the beginning of radio calling it a radio show? Because shows at that time were mostly on stage and it was shows. Going, and then doing a radio show literally was the verbal activity that normally would have been done on a stage. It, and it, I'm old enough to remember that, which is makes me really old. It's just... The same concept as saying, uh, dial this number. Well, there was radio theater for a long time. We, we're still dialing on our phones when we haven't had a dial on our phones for 25 years, 30 years. Wow. I think, I think we have a niche there we could fill. We could sell dial telephones Ooh. and people would think that was really cool to dial yeah. telephones. A, U, a USB-C or lightning attachment to your iPhone Android with a dial telephone. Hmm. Yes. Yes. It's anachronistic. Everyone would know that you were in the in crowd if you had a dial telephone. It's very Generation Z. Uh, when you think about it, you wear your uh, Metallica and Offspring t-shirt, maybe ACDC if you're stretching way back, and carry a dial telephone. Yeah. With you. Yeah. This is going to be the height of coolness, and we'll be like... Dragging a cord along the ground. Yes, a, a coiled <laughs> cord that goes 150 feet, and three-way conversations might include your mother at some point. Right. That makes sense. Yes, but that's not what our program is about, though that would be mildly amusing if it were. This is the Personal yes. Wealth Coach, and we're going to talk about the economy and about personal finance, about money and stuff. Uh, but before we get started, we have to talk about uh, taking our clothes off. I mean, disclosing. Well, that's the same. Yeah, we're going to unclose. We're going to open. That's what we're going to do. We have some things that we have to say to make the rest of this make sense. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. That doesn't mean that the SEC likes the firm. That's just who they're registered with, who we're registered with. Uh, we, as the two principals of the firm, are also the talkers on the air. Uh, and the other part of that is that 
we're registered with the SEC to give investment advice, which is fiduciary stuff in the best interest of the client, knowing all that should be known and as an expert and keeping private about all that. Yeah, we can't do that on the air. Kind of privacy rules go out the window when we start broadcasting what we're talking about. So what we're doing here is not fiduciary advice, it's education. Uh, hopefully, we're going to educate you all and us too in the process. We talk good American around here. Um, yeah, let's see. I think those were the three wrapped into one. You've got some favorites to say? Uh, I can say that the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And when was the last time you, listener, went around deeming about anything? I deem all the time. I deem what you're saying as appropriate. Right. Uh, so let's see, anything else? Ah, yes, one more thing. We don't get paid to do this program, and we don't pay to do this program. We have been volunteering our Saturday mornings, me since 1998, you since 1996, me being Jake, the other bald guy, Jeff. Uh, so we've been doing this a long time. It's not a paid commercial program. We do as a firm buy advertising on the station, KTEM, but the advertising is all for the radio program. And at the end of the program, we do give our contact information. That's about the extent of this. We've been doing this a long, long time for free. That has to say something about our sanity. It maybe says something about the sanity of the people that are listening too. I don't know. We could be strictly a bunch of pro bonos. Yeah, yeah. So uh, those are our disclosures. And now we generally start the program after talking ad nauseum about things that we should disclose. Well, we have some questions hanging out there, three of them from, mm. from uh, listeners, hopefully listeners. Um, and uh, we've got them spread out, uh, three good questions. So one is on... Bonds in a bear market. One is talking about the policing of names in the investment world. And um, the other one's talking about supply chain issues. So which one should we jump on first? They're all really good. Oh, you I think the one from Nick. All right. Since he got it in there first on yeah. Friday. Yeah. Nick is a podcast listener and he's pretty thorough. It looks like he's come all the way up to, to May 10th, catching up on all of our podcasts, which is phenomenal. Um, I, or it means that he has uh, a, a twisted Very brain. Very little to do. Twisted Very brain little to do in his life. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we appreciate that you've chosen to listen to our voices uh, on your free time. Um, I, I have sympathy for you as well. Thank you, Nick. And my condolences as well. Um, uh, your question is, uh, you've been mentioning how bonds are in a bear market, are in a bear market, and new purchases will not keep up with inflation. How do bonds, bond funds behave in comparison to individual bonds? How does a bond bear market impact bond funds? This is a fantastic question. Because if you buy a bond, what are you really doing? Because when you go to the bank and you say, I want a mortgage, you don't think you're selling a mortgage when you do that. I'm selling a bond. But you really are. You're getting money for something. You're being paid for something. Now you have to pay it back. But your bond is your word. 
that's what you're selling. I'm going to, I'm going to get some money and I'm going to pay for the benefit of that money. Okay. If you're buying a bond and it's just a contract with a company and the company or a person, and they say, I'm going to pay you back in 10 years. Well, that, that means that you should get your principal back. You know, that assumes that the person or company is able to pay you back in 10 years. Well, what do you do if they don't? Well, that's why you would raise your interest rate. If you say, hey, this, these folks might not pay me back, I'm going to raise the interest on this because I need to get some money back out of this. So you say you raise your interest. Okay. Well, if overall interest rates go up during that time period, the value of your bond at that, even though it was a high interest when you made the loan, if a higher interest rate is prevalent out there and you say, I want to sell my bond, this contract, hey, somebody want to buy it from me, they promise to pay back what they owe at the end of it and they're paying this interest on top of it. Well, if you can go out and buy a bond for a higher interest rate, why would you buy one for a lower interest rate? Why would you choose to get paid less? So people tend to discount their bond uh, to cause the price of their bond to be less than what they expect to actually receive when it matures, when the, the debt is due. So say it's $10,000 in, in 10 years, but it, if the interest rate on it is low, you may have to charge $9,500 for it. Well, that's a $500 loss. Well, you could just hold on to that bond. Then at the end of the of the period, they should pay you the $10,000 and you get the interest rate. Well, that's the, that is the, the support for people that are in the bond market when interest rates are going up. They can just say, all right, I'll just sit it out and I'll wait for the maturity of the bond and then I'll get all my money back. This discount doesn't have to be real. I don't have to take a loss right now. I'll just wait. Well, you don't have that capability usually in a bond fund. When I say usually, there are some bond funds. What's a fund? It's a pooled investment where you and a bunch of other people can throw a bunch of money together to buy bigger bonds and more of them to get more diversified so that if that one person doesn't pay you back, at least you've got some other bonds that will. So that's great, except usually in a bond fund, there's a manager. When I say usually, there are some types of bond funds that just their whole thing is we're going to hold these things to maturity. There is no secondary market. But that limits your ability to sell the fund. You can't say, all right, I'm out. So they're pretty rare. Most of the time, people want a bond fund because it's liquid. Well, if it's liquid and say, you say, I'm out of the bond fund. I want to take my money and go buy a boat. Well, that means that the manager of the fund has to sell bonds to get you that cash. And if interest rates have just gone up, he's going to take a loss on that bond. And if, some, if your neighbor is also an owner of that bond fund, you just handed a loss to your neighbor. Now, that liquidity, the ability to buy and sell that bond whenever you want, that bond fund whenever you want, is the benefit here. But you've got more of an interest rate risk in a bond fund than you would if you're just holding the bond to maturity. So there are, there are some differences here. And those people that are in bond funds that just say, I'm going to wait this out, they can get some benefit by doing that. But it's not as clear as just waiting to maturity. The benefit they get is eventually most of the bonds in the portfolio will get to maturity. But if some of the selling takes place before then, that's an extra layer of danger in a bond fund that isn't there for buying a bond. Now, most people that are buying bond funds 
either don't want to do the research into what individual bond to buy because there's risks associated with that or uh, don't have time to do it. They just don't want to mess with it. You, you and they want like the liquidity. Bad. Yeah, they want the liquidity. They want the, they want the liquidity. Here's the problem. Obviously, if you buy a bond and it's very highly rated and you've done your research and let's just say it's a 10-year bond and you buy it new, um, which is kind of hard to do, but let's say you buy a new bond that's trading at what's called 100 or 100% of its Otherwise, of its otherwise known as par because why not? Right. And you hold it for 10 years, you're going to get your dollars back plus the interest and that's cool. Presuming However, that they don't default. That's a big presumption. Right. And one thing, if it's the U.S. government, we assume they won't. Everyone else has some kind of a probability thrown into right. it. So, but the problem occurs with, even if you hold individual bonds, and let's just say you're 70 years old and you buy an individual bond, and it's only 10 years. There is a distinct possibility, you 70-year-old person or whoever you are, that somewhere in that 10-year period, you will need cash for that bond. Or were you to die, your heirs will need cash for that bond. Or were you to suddenly need to go into uh, assisted care or a nursing home, you would need cash for that bond. There's where market risk comes in. If interest rates have risen substantially from the time you bought the bond, there's a very high probability that at selling the bond, you'll get back less than you paid for it. The Now, I say that's a new bond. Now, it gets into a little more complexity here. Because normally people buy bonds in the secondary market. Someone else is selling one. There's a broker involved. You buy the bond. And people don't pay a lot of attention to this either. Uh, bonds trade a lot of bonds out there right now. The vast majority of them are trading at what's called a premium. I was just looking at one that was trading at 107. In other words, it's a 7% guaranteed loss built into that bond if, it, if you hold it to maturity. And people just don't understand the issue that bonds that are bought at a premium will Wait. liquidate at par. You, you had a bond pun in there. I did. Yeah, you said they don't understand the issue. You see that? You got it. Bonds are issued. You see that oh. there? It's, it's, it's an economist joke, and everybody should throw eggs at me at this point. Go ahead. And there's another issue with individual bonds. Oh, there you is, did it again. You did it again. There is another. Yeah, I know yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't do tutu, but I did tutu in the newsletter. Okay. It was a tutu in the newsletter. Right. Uh, anyway, if you take our newsletter, you can hunt through it. You'll find there's a tutu in there. Um, lost second, my train second of issue completely. in bonds. Liquidity and. Uh, yeah. Well, blah, 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 liquidity <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that if you buy the admit a premium, you have a guaranteed loss. And then was. A, oh, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. Here we go. I'll try not to interrupt again. The well, I've lost it again. I'm, uh, I'm obviously interruption amnesia. This is this is yeah. a normal thing for most people. Uh, let me let me flip back to the question. Where, where it'll you come back about. to me in just a minute. Okay. Um, the the difference between holding an individual bond or being in the bond fund is that you do have this extra in interest rate risk in the bond fund. However, if Ooh, you if you it. have that individual bond and you sell it in the middle your interest rate risk typically on average is higher than if you're selling from a bond fund right in the middle. So how's that for, for nuanced silliness? Okay, back to you. I got it. Let's just say that you look at your local school district and say that is as secure as it can get. I'm comfortable that I can buy a bond issued by the school district 
I'm just using this as an example. I'm not saying the school district bonds are better than any others or anything else. Then you suddenly have an urgent need for the cash five years from now and you go to sell the bond. Mm -hmm. There may not be a market. Right. Because because there is no there is no United. There is no New York bond exchange. It's it is done in a very disseminated, uh, loose thing. It, it and looks a lot like the over-the-counter market for stocks, which means they're not traded on an exchange. There's not a centralized location that you can go to to say, is anybody buying or selling this? It's just going to a bunch of market makers who you think might own some or might buy some. Our, our brokers who will say, we'll look for somebody to buy it. As a matter yeah. of fact, in my many years of brokerage and investment advisory experience on numerous occasions we've come across situations where people say i've got these bonds that i inherited from my father or grandfather or grandmother or somebody and uh, i don't like the interest rate on them i don't think they're it's something i want to keep so i want to sell them and we would go to the uh clearing house that we used at the time or we, that we use now which is huge mag i mean if it's going to be sold they can find a place to sell it and they'll come back and say how low are you willing to go and and just because as, it, at it, at any reasonable price there's nobody, there is to, nobody buy to buy now if you go low enough in the price uh, bonds are typically $1000 per bond if you go low enough in the price somebody will probably step in and buy it but meanwhile back at the ranch uh, there is nobody with an open order at any price for that particular bond. And, and that could be because it's the Gerald Independent School District bond, and there's not uh, some person with a large amount of money looking to buy a Gerald Independent School District bond or a fill-in-the-blank. Fill it doesn't really matter where. It's a small town or something. People don't generally have a list of small towns that they want to buy, it's generally what's available, who's giving the issue when they go to buy. And the, the, the other thing, though, is that it doesn't have to be a small issue. It doesn't have to be something that nobody knows about. I've got experience with Ginnie Mae bonds and Fannie Mae bonds. Ginnie Mae is the government national mortgage association. They're the ones that back the VA loans and the government-backed loans are Ginnie Mae. Fannie Mae is this quasi-governmental capitalistic system that's still kind of governmental right now that's buying up mortgages. And you think those are huge. There must be a lot of people out there waiting to buy those things. But there are certain issues that just don't have a market, that just you cannot find anyone to buy it. You just have to hold it. And as interest rates rise, this becomes problematic. Because let's just say that you have a bond that you're really, really happy with because it's paying 3% which uh, a couple of years ago was pretty impressive. And if you could find 3%, you were doing really well. A couple of years ago, five months ago, that was really impressive. Um, but interest rates have been rising and, and inflation is rising. And so now the same kind of bond that you own, there's a lot of folks willing to pay in new bond issues 6%. And think about it. If you have $1,000 and you're going to buy a bond and get interest on it for, let's say, 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or however long you're going to buy the bond for, and one person selling bonds says, I will give you 6% a year for if you loan me, if you buy the bond and thereby loan me the money. And the other one's saying, well, I've already got a bond here and I'd be glad to sell it to you, but you'll only get 3% a year. Which one are you going to buy? Um. Uh, 
I would rather have one that pays more, sir. Mm, well, very, very round figures, depending on the, the maturity of the bond and a whole lot of other things. But all of the things being equal, and somebody says, I got a 3% bond, and the other guy got, says, I got a 6% bond, I'll sell you for $1,000. And the guy says, I have a 3% bond. I say, okay, $600, I'll buy you a 3% bond. Right. So basically, if you're looking at the income stream, the interest, the interest component of that bond is worth half of the one at 6%. The 3% is worth half of 6%. How's that for crazy? Now, you still then, have that maturity value coming. So it's the bond itself isn't down 50%, but it might be down... 35 or 40 percent if you've got a long enough distance between now mm -hmm. and maturity and you may say at that point wait a minute i paid over a thousand dollars for this bond because interest rates are really really low when i bought the bond and it was trading at a premium you mean you'll only give me six hundred dollars for this bond and the buyer says yeah because that's what it's worth right now now that's a little bit extreme people bonds don't generally seesaw around that much but We're large bond portfolios right now Large bond portfolios that I have looked at very carefully recently are common, are typically down about 12% yeah. for the last six months, which is about as far, by the way, as the stock market is down. And when you throw in higher yield bonds, those are used to be called junk bonds. They're down significantly more than that. Just like if you <clears> go to the tech stocks, those, those big tech high flyers are down significantly more than the market. Bonds are actually more complicated in stocks, and people don't understand that. Yeah. I think that's the big thing. Bond funds. Uh, the other thing is you've got to be careful. Let me throw one other caveat in here, which means warning in economese. Um, I'm concerned about insurance companies that have been selling fixed annuities at, for example, 3%. Yeah. That was, they were selling like mad in the past several years when interest rates were running at 1% or lower. So they're offering 3%. Why are they offering 3%? Because they've got a long maturity portfolio of bonds that pays them enough that they're comfortable that they can pay out a 3% interest rate. And in some cases, guaranteed the 3% interest rate. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. This happened, and I'm going to be the first to admit that this happened a long time ago, like 40 years ago when I first started in this business. Interest rates started to rise. And people who had bought annuities, fixed annuities, fixed deferred annuities. Now, this is we're not talking about the immediate annuity where they pay you every month. We're saying you give the insurance company a certain amount of money and they promise you that they will give you a certain amount of interest for as long as you hold the annuity. And then you can liquidate it at any time along the way. Sometimes there's a surrender charge. Often there is. But you gave the company this money and they're paying you 3% and you're really real happy with that. And then you realize that interest rates have risen and you can go to the bank and get four or 5%, or you can go to a money market fund and get four or 5%, which you can't at present. But this is what happened long, long ago and looks like it may happen again. So you say to the annuity company, give me my money back. And they say, well, we've got a surrender charge here. Well, I'll pay the surrender charge because I want a higher interest rate. And so they then have to liquidate part of their portfolio of bonds, which is trading at a loss to give you your money. And if a lot of people do that, the insurance company that issued the annuity is going to get in financial trouble. Yeah, And that is what happened back in the 70s and early 80s. And I would be surprised if it doesn't happen again going forward as interest rates go up. I am not eager for it to happen. 
And I'm not saying that it's absolutely going to happen. However, the laws of economics suggest that it may happen. So this is an area where you need to be cautious. Okay. Um, Next question. I think we did that fairly well. Probably much more long-winded than it needed to be, but that's how we that's how we roll. On the other hand, we also roll in. Wait, I'm doing it again. Oh, um, we've got another question. This one from our most faithful questioner, Inquisitor John. We've got two questions from him, and I'm going to hit one, and hopefully you'll touch on it as well, and then we'll maybe do the next one. As is tradition, Inquisitor John has taken a picture digitally of his paper Wall Street Journal and emailed it to us digitally so that we have a analog digital conversion on both ends coming to my analog eyes. Uh, it, it is the only way to send questions, in my opinion, and I'm uh, very happy that this is continuing. The question is, so how much of the switch of a switch from just-in-time to just-in-case since contributing to inventory shortages? Um, Kodak's got six months of inventory sitting on hand where they used to have three months of inventory sitting on hand. Um, why do I think of this as a fascinating issue? Because it fits into the supply chain irregularly. It is a square peg trying to go into a round hole. Um, the if Just give you an example of weird supply and demand issues. Uh, there's a company that is pretty infamous and maybe famous uh, at this point, of uh, Peloton, the exercise company. Um, this is... Uh, one of the companies that rose to nosebleed level of altitude during the pandemic because it makes exercise equipment. And people stopped going to the gym during the lockdown. So a lot of people started ordering exercise equipment. They needed to stay in shape during the lockdown. And so they started ordering equipment. And Peloton started getting this demand. And so they started hiring people because at this point, few people were being hired they were hiring at a point when we had massive unemployment and they needed more people and more factory space in order to make more equipment because they weren't able to fill the demand. People were wanting it now and they didn't have it now. So they kept spending on expanding and kept spending on expanding. And then we came out of lockdown and People that hadn't gotten their exercise equipment yet canceled their orders. So you had this massive demand that couldn't be filled, and Peloton went to great extremes to try to give its customers what they wanted. They spent a lot of money on new factories, and now they're left holding that bag. Um, that's weird demand whip effect. That, by the way, in economics is called the whip effect. So The whip effect. The whip effect, yes. Well, but they, in the news, they're calling it the bullwhip effect. Well, it's often called the bullwhip effect as well, but it's shortened in normal conversation. People don't say the bullwhip effect. They just say whip effect. So bull, mm. bullwhip effect is, you can look it up, um, as it is technically called the bullwhip effect. Um, when we're talking about just-in-time stuff, and this is a, a technology from the 1990s that really revolutionized how we do business in the world. Dell picked it up. Uh, and said, we're going to ship you your, we're going to make your product because you're going to order it from us and then we're going to buy the parts. We're not going to have it sitting in a warehouse already built for you. You order a part, we buy, you order the computer, we buy the parts and put it together and send it to you. Just in time was born. McLean's, another Texas company, 
uh, one that uh, is located in Temple, right in the same place that our radio studio is located. Um, Warren Buffett and Walmart both tapped into that technology by buying McLean's at different times. And it was the whole barcode technology of, hey, we're going to order a new one as soon as this one's being purchased. And as long as we have fast trucks and an and a, and a easy mode of transport between manufacturer and purchaser, just-in-time was amazing. So all over the country, the warehouse di- districts of these great metropolitan areas in Dallas and in Austin and everywhere else, the warehouse districts became redundant. You didn't have to store stuff for people's demand because the computers were fast enough to order it just in time. We could just get it there. And as a cause of recessions, having too much inventory in our warehouse was about the number one cause of recessions for about 80 years. They overordered, they stocked up their inventory, and then demand dropped. So we went to this new thing in the 90s of, oh, this is much more efficient. It doesn't put anywhere near the risk on the corporation that's warehousing the item. And then the pandemic hit. We didn't have warehouses. So the corporations were hit with this risk of not having anything to sell, which is just as bad as not having, or as having too much to sell in some ways, and that you don't get any income. So they're, they're moving back to, okay, we're gonna have an inventory. We're gonna build a warehouse. Well, real estate prices are high. So purchasing warehouse space is expensive. People are doing it because they need to. What does that do to the manufacturers? Well, they get this demand. Uh, the demand is, hey, we need to buy a bunch of candy bars. Uh, we need to buy a bunch of candy bars. We need to buy a bunch of candy bars. And the manufacturer of the candy bars go, oh, well, we need to go into overdrive producing more of these candy bars. This is an unusual demand. We're not used to seeing this kind of demand for our candy bars right now. Dedicate more floor space to the candy bars at the factory. We got to get them out there. People are wanting that. I don't know why, but we need to take advantage of this. And what's really happening is a grocery store is stocking up all of its warehouse inventory, and the warehouse inventory is building and building and building on candy bars until they have enough. And then that inventory across the country is filled up in all of these warehouses that just got reinstituted, and nobody told the manufacturer about this. So at the end of all of this inventory buildup, people immediately stop buying candy bars. And the manufacturers got all these new employees in there and, and they're all on the candy bar floor space and they're buying new equipment to, you know, I don't know what's going on. People like candy bars. And then the demand goes. So they've got to figure out what to do. They've got, well, what else is being added to inventories now? Well, let's get them over to the, to the, the, the licorice area instead of the candy bar area. So yeah, it is absolutely contributing to the supply chain issues and the weird bumpiness, the whip effect, the bull whip effect as that bulge moves followed by a lack. As inventories build up and then stop the demand, the manufacturers are getting whiplash. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's having an effect. And it's not synchronized across the economy. So you have all these bulges moving at different speeds in every direction. This is why we say we're going to have bumpiness and inflation is not going to go away right away. As a matter of fact, if you want to see the effect, look at the fourth quarter reported GDP last year, which is very high. By the way, I strongly object to the fact that when the GDP is reported, 
by the Labor Department of all places, they reported on an annualized basis. It was 6.7% GDP in the fourth quarter. No, it wasn't. It was one quarter of that. And then we had a negative GDP in the first quarter that followed, even though business was still going strong. What happened was, because of the supply chain issues and the shortages that had occurred before the fourth quarter of last year, businesses bought a lot, had a lot of orders out there. And when the supply chain issues began to resolve themselves, all those orders came in. They bought lots and lots of stuff, built up their inventory, and had this really, really big growth in the fourth quarter that's recorded as part of the GDP. In the first quarter, they turned around and looked and said, whoa, we got too much stuff here and stop buying, and that caused us to have a negative GDP in a quarter when growth was actually moving faster in the United States right. than it was in the fourth quarter. Consumer spending was up, but from a manufacturing perspective, it looked like it was down because the warehouses were full. And like I said, I object strongly to the fact that GDP is reported on an annualized basis when just about everything else is reported on a monthly or quarterly basis. It's, it's almost as if somebody said, let's see if we can confuse the public and the reporters to the maximum extent possible by reporting some stuff on an annualized basis. And they're not saying it's on an annualized basis when it shows up in the newspaper or on the news and the TV or whatever. And this other stuff will report on a monthly basis. And the other stuff, and yet other stuff we report on a quarterly basis, and we won't bother to tell people which we're doing. And we have an email addressing this right away, and I have to read it. Roger sure. sent an email in uh, saying, sorry to be picky, picky, but the exercise equipment company is pronounced Pelotin with an emphasis, in the, an emphasis on the first syllable, not Pelotin, as I have been saying. Thank you, Roger. You never have to apologize for being a pedantic to an economist, ever. So don't worry about it. Uh, being... Um, you, instead of sorry, you, you can begin the email with actually that it's Peloton. I think Peloton, not yes. Peloton. Peloton. Yeah. Peloton sounds like a vice presidential candidate. Right. We had not very long. Right. So, uh, you, you are correct, Roger. And it shows that I did not, uh, purchase the stock, nor did I purchase the equipment. Um, it, it is, it, it's still a good example. Um, and uh, as I have been corrected many, many, many times on my pronunciation of Reuters, the news agency, as Reuters, the news agency, but I kind of prefer Reuters. Let me let me address a little more on this question about the just-in-time versus just-in-case. What we have is a situation where we went too far to just-in-time. There was the assumption that we would always have, in essence, our supply was of, of stuff was in transit, and that's cool. But in order to raise profits, that kept compressing and compressing and compressing to the point where it became very fragile, and we found out it was fragile. Now we're swinging back towards the middle, and hopefully we will have a balance in there where they do have some inventory. And, and, and I have to and call you on a lot in traction. It's fragile. Fragile. You said fragile. Are we just being very clear here? All right. Well, it's time for us to end the first hour. <laughs> yes, it this is. This is the person. This is the personal wealth coach with Jeff and Jake McClure, and we are a registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas, and we give investment advice and portfolio management services 
to people of higher net worth. And our local telephone number is 254-947-1111. Toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's lots of radio programs on there going back lots of years. We've got newsletters going back even farther and podcasts available, though you can go to any place that provides podcast info and we'll be there. Uh, You can contact us at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com or through the contact form. And we'll be back next hour with more of The Personal Wealth Coach.